Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago. It may not be that bad, but (laughs) we'll see. Verse 15 is where we pick up. We'll look at verse 15, 16, and 17. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Paul writes there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Look carefully then how you walk. And of course, as we look at that, what Paul is doing is he's looking back at all of that stuff previous and, um, and, and look carefully then how you walk, you know, being what? Being imitators of God, right? And, and, and not, uh, and, and then that list in verse three of things that shouldn't even be named uh, on, among you as is proper among saints and um, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness all the way down to verse 11. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, uh, we need help as we, anytime we open your word, Father, we need help. We need help to to see and understand rightly. We need to understand what you are uh, saying to us, what we need to walk away from your word with. And uh, Father, we recognize... uh, as it concerns what your will is for us, Father, we, we see it. It is our sanctification. It is worship of you. And Father, may we do just that and do just that now, that we would um, grow, that we would see uh, what we need to see. We would grow in it. We would be um, in this process of sanctification and we would indeed worship. Father, help me as I speak. Help me uh, to speak rightly. And uh, we do thank you for the time here that you have given us. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we did have that matter then a couple weeks ago of that imitation of God, that we are to be imitating God and remembering all of that that we looked at a couple weeks ago. We look at these verses here. And so Paul continues on this matter, which is important to him. That is the walk, right? The walk that we are to have. He continues on with this issue of the walk and the care that we are to take in this walk, the careful walk that we are to have. There's a couple commands in the passage, but one that might stand out a little bit more uh, because the world is offended by everything that is said. And so what might offend the sensibilities here right up front is this uh, command not to be foolish, right? Don't be foolish. Don't act like a fool. Don't be a fool. Apparently, I have the ability to act like a fool, to be a fool, right? And we need to have an understanding, though, what it is uh, 
that the Bible means by fool. Because when the world says fool, it means something different. When the world says fool, when the, uh, when the world speaks of a fool, it might just um, generally mean ignorant, dumb, acting stupid, acting unintelligently, might just misplace the word, uh, replace the word with idiot or something like this. Um, now, I'm not saying that any of those things are invalid necessarily, but when the Bible speaks of a fool, it speaks of something much more serious and much more significant than that. Because the fool says in his heart what? That there is no God. And so ultimately to be foolish is to say in your heart that there is is no God, one who is living apart from God. And this could be somebody that might consider themselves a, an atheist, which I would argue that really this idea of being an atheist is not uh, as real as people like to think it is. I would argue that there really is no such thing as an atheist because at some point even the atheist uh, comes to a realization, but that's not what we're talking about here. But this is one who lives as if there is no God. Uh, they just live in a very flippant manner. They live in a very, you know, apathetic, I don't care kind of manner. Uh, and, and the idea of a sovereign creator, the idea of the mention of a sovereign creator, they're just flippant and apathetic towards it, and they just frankly don't care. This is a person who thinks that they are accountable to no one. Now, if we stop there for just a second, if you just go to the workplace, if you go to just a secular situation, it is ignorant, even in that situation, to think that I'm accountable to nobody. But there's people that live like that in the secular world, right? There's people that live like that out in the secular world that think I'm accountable to nobody. I am my own guy. I am my own boss. Now, if that is stupid, which it is, how much worse is it to live as if I am not accountable to the Holy Creator? But that is the fool, as the Bible speaks of it. And we recognize that this is many, many people, right? Accountable to no one. This is the person that they may indeed believe God exists, may pay God some lip service, but he denies God by the things that he does and the things that he says. Again, so the supreme fool is the one who lives as if there is no God, as one who is indeed unaccountable. So to be clear, we recognize all of us are born spiritually foolish. So none of us can stand above this and say, what an idiot, right? Why? Because guess what? I was there, right? We were all there at one time. We all, as, as spiritually foolish, we have all been there. The unredeemed man has no concern or care for the important things of life, the things that actually really do matter, because what we see in this person is everything is backwards with things that actually matter, right? Foolishness is wisdom. Wisdom is real godly wisdom is foolishness to this one. Uh, no man lives without a God or of some sort or kind, right? A small g, God. Uh, and for the foolish that we speak of here, it is typically and very simply just to make a God out of myself. We, we recognize that creating gods uh, out of uh, the own making and in effect uh, then does what? Becomes, uh, I become my own God whenever I do such things. I am now 
as far as I'm concerned, the authority over all things. And whenever I begin to view myself as the supreme authority, I am, according to Paul here, acting foolish. This man is the man that will not acknowledge sin and will not acknowledge the consequences of it. Like, you know, Cole had said that he had shared the gospel with a guy. Uh, he told us this story in, in Sunday school, and he just, the guy said he was not a sinner. Um, that flies in the face, of course, of what the Bible tells us about every single one of us, but he's just not, just not a sinner. Now, this is the guy that can't help to, but to spread his foolishness, right? So I'm going to not only be a fool, act a fool, but I want to spread this foolish, be, foolishness because I am convinced of uh, the wisdom of my folly. I am convinced of the wisdom of my foolishness. And so because of this, I want to further it. I want everybody to experience this. Uh, this is the guy, right, that wants everybody to be just exactly as he is. It doesn't matter how smart the world may view this person, how great of a job this person may have. They may have a great job, may make tons of money, may make may be very bright in a very worldly kind of way, uh, may drive a very cool car, something like this, things that really uh, matter a whole lot. Not, right? As it pertains, though, to things of godliness, this is a person who is a fountain of folly and stupidity. And you keep in mind, this guy may be a plethora of useless knowledge, may be very advanced at whatever it is that he does, his quote-unquote thing that he does. But if you ever notice, it seems that uh, actual wisdom seems to decrease with the more stuff that a man comes to know. We see this in our universities, right? We see this with university learning and what happens so often to kids when they go to universities. They, uh, if, if they don't have any kind of solid foundation at all, what happens to them if they go to a public university? They start to listen to these professors that are so unbelievably stupid and what happens? It sounds so smart, it sounds so good, they speak with such authority, but the more that they actually, the more worldly knowledge that they have, the less actual wisdom seems to affect them. The more knowledge that is obtained um, that doesn't matter, that more knowledge that is obtained that doesn't mean anything, ultimately, um, the less that one will see their need for God. A, it's, it's to always be learning stuff, but never come to understand your actual purpose. I've learned all kinds of nice stuff, but I don't really understand what my purpose is, is what that amounts to. And there will be serious suffering in the foolishness because there is not submission to God. This is to hate the truth about sin and to hate the truth about salvation. And so we know from the statement that sums Proverbs up, Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, right? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And as I look at Proverbs, the entire book of Proverbs, I read it through that statement. Whenever I look at that, any statement in Proverbs, how do I read it? I read it through that statement that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And so there is only one way then to true wisdom if we believe that, and we do, and that is the fear of the Lord. That is the way of the Lord. You turn from foolishness and you turn to God. Uh, if you are one of His, then you are one that is 
wise, not unwise, or at least is said supposed to be wise and not unwise. We aren't to play philosophical games. We are to do something far different. So we look to what the Lord's wisdom teaches us then. And it teaches us something about our very careful, principled walk. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So if you are a born again child of God, your worldview is to look quite a bit different than the world's, right? It's an obvious statement, but it is to be something different, is to look very different in how you see things. So the people that you work with that do not know Jesus, you're going to see things different than they are. Everything that happens, you're going to see different than them. Your classmates at school, you're going to see things different because you're looking through very different glasses, right? And, and we see the world differently. In verse 15, the command to walk carefully. It's a careful walk based upon what is being taught here, what Paul is, is teaching. We go back to a couple weeks ago and we said that there's a larger call in the passage to be an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are one that has repented and you have believed upon Christ for salvation, then I ought to be walking as one who has been raised from the dead, been placed in the light of Christ. We walk wisely. It's to walk wisely if we are indeed one of His beloved children. The wise walk then characterizes, that wise walk should be characterizing and is characterizing the children of God. We've been told in the previous chapter there that we're to walk in humility, in unity, in separation, in love, in light. And now he gets to this idea and the seriousness of wisdom, the call to live like what you are. Live wise, not unwise. When do we go from being spiritually foolish to spiritually wise? Well, it happens at salvation. At the moment of salvation is when that is to occur. Are we going to have all the wisdom? Are we going to have it all packed in right there at salvation? I did not, but that is the transition point where this walk begins. So by the grace of God, the saved are in Jesus Christ, right? And they, and they are the ones who become, this comes to us with the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, coming at redemption. We can't have salvation without God's wisdom any more than we can have salvation without His righteousness, His sanctification, and redemption. But there's a cancer in the modern church, Right? There's a cancer in many modern churches. Uh, you, it's referred to as many things. We often may refer to it as, as easy believism, something like this. But it is an infection in our contemporary church because among other ignorant and stupid things that it does, it kind of takes salvation and divides it into little segments, chunks. Depending on where you are, what church you're in, it kind of goes like this. You know, it's something that, you know, men are first, they're born again by accepting Christ. Well, you accept Jesus as your Savior. Uh, now, the problem with that is, is it doesn't really take the idea that Christ is going to be accepting us based upon our repentance first and not sometime later. But then, as this person would grow in grace, they somewhere along the line are going to um, stop sinning. 
uh, at least to the point that the person watching them or the person who is who is shepherding them or whatever they want to call this, uh, then at that point, ah, you have reached a certain point of righteousness. And so now I am going to deem you at a level of, of sanctification where now you are calling Jesus Lord. Calling Jesus Lord and salvation itself cannot be separated. These things cannot be torn apart. These things are together. Christ is Lord. It's not for me to declare Him as Lord. I mean, it is for me to say He is my Lord, right? But this happens at salvation. This is not stretched out into some kind of uh, different path. This is to be saved, to be wise, to reject sin. And the first instruction of the gospel uh, for the person who is saved is to, I am to renounce and for sake sin. I am to repent and now I am to live a new godly life that flows out of a new godly heart. That there is to be righteousness flowing out there. There's something that's to be different. Now, you may look at me and say, well, you're not all that great. Well, maybe not. But there is one person in this room that knew me before I was saved. And she wouldn't have married me if I wasn't, okay? Now, she could tell you there's a difference, right? And so that's the thing, right? There is a, there should be something different. There should be a change. There should be something happen. That instruction then, that wisdom is a part of the new birth. It's not something that comes along later. The idea that I must repent now and cease to sin, that is something that is repulsive to the world. Because they hate that notion because it's, it's an idea that says that there's something that is fundamentally wrong with me. Well, newsflash, there is something fundamentally wrong with us outside of Christ. We open our Bibles, we begin reading, and we see, we come across these matters of walking with God. And that walking with God, that is true and real wisdom. Jesus made it clear in the Beatitudes that the first and most necessary marks of salvation are mourning over sin, hungering for, and thirsting for righteousness. But since it is here in this passage, we have to see that the implication is that the believer has the ability, apparently, I have the ability to play something that I am not that being the fool. I have the ability to play the fool. I play the fool when I'm disobedient. I play the fool whenever I do stupid things in sin because I do still reside in this world. There is still the flesh and I play the fool when I'm disobedient to God. We play the fool when we put our hearts, when we set our hearts on the wrong things. It is abhorrently foolish for you and I not to take God at His word at everything that He says. There's no excuse for me or you. There's no excuse for Christians to live foolishly. Why? Because God's wisdom belongs to us. And He tells us to ask for it. He tells us to ask if you genuinely want to know God's truth, then you won't be in doubt. Our principles of this life should lead us to that which is wise. But what we have to grasp is the time is short. Verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
When I was 18 years old, I had a 68 Camaro. It was an RSSS. It was, well, it wasn't sweet. It would have been sweet. It was, it was a thing that, was, uh, that I had picked up for uh, back then at that time, whenever I was uh, that age. I mean, people drove these things to school, okay? I mean, that was uh, how common these, these were at that time. So I picked one up pretty cheap and it was going to be great, right? I started tearing it apart. I built an engine for it. This engine was set over here. I start tearing this thing apart and I'm really going to do something great here. Well, uh, what we know is that life is full of unfinished projects, right? My dad got really, really tired of this car sitting in the garage and said, this has got to go. So I traded the car for a rifle, uh, which looking back, I don't know how wise that was. I sold the engine to a guy who stuck it in his truck and, um, and, and life goes on, right? Life is full of unfinished project, projects. So what happens? Well, it's, it's often just I, I'm not maximizing the use of my time. We head into these things, we head into them full steam, then we find something else to do. We have all kinds of unfinished projects of things that don't matter. So let's say I completed this, and in my mind, this was, uh, first of all, this was an ugly car when I bought it. But in my mind, this was really a thing of beauty. You should have seen the picture that was in my mind of what this was going to become. But what happened, right? We often don't maximize the use of our time on things that don't matter like that, which really didn't matter. But as believers, for us, doing things and, and concentrating on things that actually do matter eternally, we are to master the use of the hours and the days of our life. Why? Because the time is short and the days are evil. And the time is much shorter than you think it is. Right? Our time is far shorter than we think it is. Having sovereignly bounded our lives with eternity, God knows the beginning and the end, right, of our time. He knows the beginning and the end of our time on earth. As believers, we can achieve our potential in His service only as we make the best use of the time, only as we maximize the time that He has given us. And so what we have to understand is that as we think of our purpose and as we think of our time, we know that worship glorifies God. It fulfills the purpose of which God has made us, right? This is the very thing that is, it's an activity of eternal significance and eternal value. It's something that really matters. It actually matters. Of all the things that you could be doing right now this morning, this matters more than anything else that you could probably be doing this morning. I don't know what else would matter more. It matters. Paul tells the folks at Ephesus, don't waste your time, but to use your time well. How does he say that? He says it in the context of those who are what? Wise, right? Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So let's give an example. What's his example? Making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So what is making the most of your time? Well, if you skip ahead to a verse that we aren't getting to here this morning, you skip to the verse that says, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Now, as the world thinks about the use of time, in the best use of time, 
what would they say about using your time to sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart? Well, first of all, who cares what the world says about how you use your time? That doesn't matter. But Paul, the apostle, who knows far better than the world what the best use of your time is, says it is singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. The Apostle Paul, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, has said in the context of the height of wisdom, because he could have picked anything. The Holy Spirit could have inspired Paul to write anything. And as you go into the passage deeper, that's what you find, that this is a good use of your time, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. He said that in this context, in the height of wisdom, something that you're to ask for that is supremely desirable, making the most of the time, it includes singing of spiritual psalms and singing to the Lord with our hearts. So, again, we get to this question, what is the will, for, uh, the will of God for my life? People always wondering what the will of God is for their life. Well, worship, right? Worship. That is His will. You want to be in His will? Worship. This is what I will do when I understand what the will of the Lord is. I will worship because he is eternal, because he is omniscient. The praise that we give him will not fall on deaf ears. But this worship delights God because after all, it is his will for us. It's eternal. This is eternal stuff. Verse 25 in Jude says to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. And we don't want to miss that forever. Your time matters. Your time makes a difference. Because, and I'm not trying to be just morbid for the sake of being morbid, but your time is short. You think you have tomorrow. I hope you do. But you may not. Our time is short. Our time matters. So, I mean, we, we think about the things that we do. We might want to cut down a bit, you know, as we think about, well, what am I going to do with my time right now? Well, I, I mean, you know, you can get on Facebook and you can click on one of those videos. And what you get do is you get caught in this trap, right? You click on this video on Facebook. And if you actually open the video up, there's videos below it, right? And there's more videos below those. And, and some of these videos are funny. Some of them are, are kind of, I, I got, I uh, was watching tractor pulling the other day and these, these things exploding, right? And uh, it was really cool. And so, you know, I'm watching these. And before you know it, you're in this for like, 10 minutes and you spent 10 minutes and what have you gained out of that how worthwhile was that is that making was that me making the best use of my time no obviously right we know that worship is the activity that matters it is significant because that is the primary activity of the people that currently reside in heaven but we are guilty right we're guilty of focusing on things that don't matter. Now, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the only one that has focused on things that ultimately don't matter. But we get involved with the busyness of life. We, uh, we're missing the things that are actually truly important. John Piper said this in his book, The Pleasures of God. He says, how will we come to feel the extraordinary satanic devastation being wreaked among the remaining unreached peoples of the world? 
How can our people come to see the irrationality of a persistently bouncy peacetime Disneyland mentality when the days are evil? This is Ephesians 5.16, when the days are evil. And the God of this world is blinding millions and Satan is filled with rage because his time is short. I'll stop there and make a comment on that. You may not get it that your time is short. Satan gets it that his time is short. He knows that his time is short. He is going to make the most of his time. Satan is filled with rage because his time is short and the stakes are infinitely higher than any conceivable nuclear World War III or any environmental disaster, he says. This is much more significant than that. So what's... Piper's appeal here to us. Well, his appeal, I think, is just to have that we are we're at, we're at war here, and it's to have a wartime mentality. The time is short. The battle is at hand. The plea that Paul drops here is to make to make the most of our time is very simply as one to walk carefully, walk wisely rather than foolishly. Outside of being purposely disobedient to God's word, one of the most spiritually foolish things that I can do is to waste time and, and, and waste my opportunity and give just kind of a half-hearted service. Napoleon, who is a guy that I'm, I'm not going to say that you should model, okay? This is not a guy that you should pattern your life after, okay? But Napoleon uh, knew something about war. And he said this, he said, There is in the midst of every great battle a 10 to 15 minute period that is the crucial point. You take that period and you win the battle. You lose it and you will be defeated. Well, if nothing else, it is a statement that says pay attention to your time. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to opportunities that you have and make the most of those. When we walk in obedience in the narrow way of the gospel, we walk carefully. We make the most of our time to take advantage of those opportunities to serve God, redeeming our time for the use of His glory. It doesn't mean to take on so much that you can't be good at anything. Because what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to walk away from this saying, I need to grab on to 17 more jobs in the church. It's not what I'm saying. You may need to do something more, maybe, possibly, than what you're doing. I don't know. But... I don't want you to walk away from this saying, well, I need to just grab everything I can because then you're good at nothing and you don't want to be good at nothing. Um, many of you have been there where you've had all this stuff to do and that's no place to be. Uh, but mainly because what happens then is because our main thing is to be shunning sin and pursuing righteousness. And whenever we've got ourselves so wrapped up in everything else, we have to we, we need to be more most concerned with shunning sin and pursuing righteousness. So we but we don't know just how long or short our time will be. So we have to be diligent for the things that matter. Because we speak about tomorrow, we speak about next month, we speak about next year, not knowing if those things are going to happen, and we may be living in our last tomorrow today. We're to make the most of our opportunity. Because we have little time and we have a lot of opposition. The days are evil. Our opportunities for freely doing righteousness are often limited when we have opportunity to do something for His name's sake and for His glory, we should do so with everything that we have. God's heart would, I would think, be broken to see 
his children to see me, to see you ignore or half-heartedly take up the opportunities that we have um, and, and then just one after another that he, that he sends us. So every day we should have things, there should be things that are good and glorifying to God. And so this, these are the things that feeds uh, his purpose that he has in wisdom. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand the will of the Lord. Paul uh, is being Paul and, and being repetitious. That's what Paul does. And that's good because I need that, right? And um, he's being repetitious with this plea for believers to not be unwise and foolish, but instead understand what the will of the Lord is. It is a plea to walk wisely. This isn't some mystic idea of writing in the clouds or in the sky or something like this or you know I need to know which way I'm going to go and so then I find uh, some rocks over here arranged in an arrow pointing that way and oh look what the Lord has done he's arranged these rocks in an arrow and this is the way I'm going to go that's not what we're looking for this is a statement to walk wisely and in the making the most of our time not being foolish includes many things a couple of, of for me not being anxious or panicked my anxiety occurs in the middle of the night, generally, whenever I go to bed. I can take the last hour of the evening, I can turn on uh, some mindless, mind-numbing television, not making the most of my time, but something to unwind my mind at the end of the evening, and I can pass out in sleep in about five minutes. But then I go lay down in my bed, and I stare at the ceiling, and I think about nine million different things, right? That's where that anxious, that's where even panic sometimes can occur many things that I should not be doing and I should not be anxious, I should not be panicked. When we look around at the overwhelming amount of evil and unending needs of evangelism, what happens? You know, the needs of service that we have, the, the, the needs of service that are there that need to be done in the name of Christ, it could be very easy to become overwhelmed. There's a temptation sometimes to give up, there's a temptation to maybe withdraw. There's a temptation to lose purpose. There's a temptation to say really awful things like, you know, they are headed to hell at full speed and uh, they don't seem to care. So why not just let them go? Temptation to say awful things, stupid things like that. And there's the temptation, of course, again, to get involved in activities that don't matter. The idea is that things have changed for us if we're in Christ, right? Things have changed for us in Christ. You believe in Christ and your values change. All of that has changed. We don't participate in the foolishness of conforming to the world's values. But instead, we're being transformed, right? Why? Because we have a new heart. We have a new mind that is to be getting it. We are getting it and we're seeing the value of the will of God. Nothing is going to wean you off worldliness as clinging to the cross. John Stott said, It is through the cross that the world has been crucified to us, we to the world. So now we are freed from its tyranny. So, if you've indeed responded to the divine mercy of Christ, what do we do? Well, we do, as stated in Romans 12, verses 1-2, through 2, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice to discern and to do His will. Again, what is His will? It's not the secret cloud writing, right? 
It's not that that I'm looking for as the plane flies by with the little thing on the end, right? That's not the way this works. It's in a very First Thessalonians uh, 4.3 kind of way, right? God's will is your sanctification. That's what it says. His will for you is sanctification. It's for us continually transforming in the likeness of Christ. So that focus sense will drive the believer to want more than ever to understand what the will of the Lord is. Because he knows that only in the Lord's will and His power can anything good and decent be accomplished. Then I won't be foolish, running around in every different direction trying to see just how many programs and projects I can become involved in. Such activity can become very futile, right? And it'll lead to burnout. It can lead to discouragement. It can lead to all kinds of awful because it works only in the power of the flesh, even if it is well-intentioned. I know because I've done this. I have live, lived in the midst of a very unfocused ministry trying to do nine million different things at once. And it just about ruined me. Now, I blamed God for that a couple times. That was stupid. That was not God's fault. That was my fault. You know, I could say, well, you know, here I am. I have to do all of these things and you did this to me. No, this is not God's fault. This was my fault. You know, you look at Christ, who is apparently the one we are to pattern ourselves after, the one that we are supposed to be imitating, and look at the, look at the guys that he poured his life into. Look at the number of guys that he poured his life into. It was a handful, right? It was a handful of guys. That's our Lord that did that. So whenever we think, whenever we see the unending needs of evangelism, which are there, and everything that is there, you know, we, we have to say, okay, Christ took this handful of guys, and then that handful of guys took their own handful of guys, and then now, a couple thousand years later, here we are, right? And the church has spread across the world. God did that, right? And so... If we try to run ahead of God, it's only going to put us further behind in what He's doing in His work. So the work of countless churches would indeed be strengthened if the number of you know, excessive programs and activities were cut back and the Lord's will were sought, was sought more carefully and, and purposely and, uh, and the principles of His will and His word and, and applied more faithfully. It's, it's what we try to focus on here, right? It's what we try to do here. And then focus on worship. So when you find your priorities to be God's priorities, He is then going to work. He's free to work in us and through us and accomplish great things. But when my priorities do not match His priorities, He's not going to do much with me. And, he's, and, and, and He has very little of us at that point. So we follow the will of the Lord, right? How? Well, God's basic will found in Scripture. Again, it's in the Word. We find His perfect, sufficient guidelines for knowing and doing what is pleasing to Him. His plan, His direction, it's found in Scripture. All you have to do is open it and read it, right? That's why we say to read your Bible, right? Open your Bible and read it. He does not promise us that He's going to show this to us through visions or through strange happenings or through, you know, show me a miracle so I know what your will is. You don't need that. 
right? We have the word. We don't play, we don't have to play guessing games. We don't hope to just stumble upon his will, right? God's desire for us is that as we obey him in repentance and dependence, he gives us his word so we know exactly what to do and that we are indeed worshiping him. So it's the will, God's will for your life is, is first and foremost for you to belong to him. That's first thing, that you belong to him, that you are his and he is yours. And this is, of course, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way that this happens is through Christ. His primary will for you is that you would repent and that you would be saved and that you would be brought into the kingdom of God. Then it is that you would be filled with the Spirit. That's coming in the next verse, right, as we, as we continue on through the passage. That'll be in the next verse, that we are filled with the Spirit. So if you are saved, if you are submissive, if you are obedient and thankful and you are worshiping, you don't ever have to ask, what do I have to do to be in God's will? Because if you are those things, you are in His will. You are living in His will. You are in His will if that's true, and your desires will come in line with His desires, and you will live and you will walk in the wisdom of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we do thank You. We praise You. Most of all, for Jesus, Father, for the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and now, Father, the opportunity to follow You, to live for You, to do Your will, to worship You, to praise You, Father, help us as we go through our days recognizing continually, having on our mind continually what is making the best use of our time. When we're at work and you know, we're, we're wrapped up in all the busyness of work and we have that opportunity for a conversation with a coworker that we may not have time for, but Father, recognizing that that is what our time is for, that that is the one thing we do have time for. And Father, that our life is to be about the gospel and taking that gospel out wherever you have placed us. So Father, we thank you, we praise you for what you're doing, what you've done in us. But Father, now as we do make the best use in our walk, in our time, in everything that we're doing, that uh, we would be useful for you and for your work. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.